Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and in the words of Jill, combat boots in a parka, you jerk. With me, I've got Liam. Also in the words of Jill, face it, Tiffany, you've been crushing on Bobby since the ninth grade. And Mitch. And in the words of Tiffany Madison, Joe, I'm a bitch. I know that. You know that. Everybody knows that. I feel like we really put our heart and soul into those. Is that just me? Like, we delivered those, you know? Now, at least somebody's putting their heart and soul into something. We didn't just say them. We really kind of felt like we were there. I'm proud of us. I think this is good. Mm-hmm. I think we all deserve a, a quick, uh, you know? How do you guys feel about this? As do the actors in the movie. We said exactly <laughs> like them. We're doing a great uh, Jill impression. We're doing God's work. Low bar. Uh, I've I've been away briefly. I hear you guys got up to some shit last week. Um, <laughs> something about a bike um, or something. I don't know. But uh, no no real bike chain humor to be had in this, in this one. Well. But... We are can't be too sure, Corey. Last time it didn't come out till the very end. Life does find a way. Um, Life just sure like can the hit, hit you. Film <laughs> Jurassic Park. Um, but uh, I do think that uh, this episode is is ripe for some classic TMAO buzz. You know what I mean? We're we're really in like the bread and butter red zone here. We are in the what? nothing we are in iconic horror movie remake territory and uh we spend a lot of time here we love it here it's not always the best of times it was the best of times it was the worst of times but you know i think this is one that we can all get pretty excited about because we are doing some mid-2000s horror which I feel like hits our sweet spot because we were children. So uh, it lets it be something that like we actually might have encountered. Um, just like going about our life, like not even seeking it out as a movie. Uh, and I always really kind of get stoked on those. Um, I remember when Liam and I did the Black Christmas 2006 episode, and I'm sure that movie will come up multiple times today. Um, I, re- I remember talking about seeing the poster for Black Christmas 2006 in the local movie theater and just the poster scaring me because I was nine. And, um, this is another thing that I kind of feel like I have a memory of. So I'm pretty stoked. So, um, I'm going to ask you guys a quick question here, or rather I'm going to ask Liam a question. Uh, and then I'll guess I'll ask Mitch a separate question. I'm still looking, I'm getting the training wheels back on this bike chain bike. Okay. Um, I knew we'd get there. <laughs> had to tie it uh, back. Itself I'm out. horrified. Um, Liam, we're talking about uh, When a Stranger Calls, 2006, and I gotta ask you, why did you pick this movie? Um, this movie is very special to me, actually. Um, it is the first horror movie that I ever saw in the theater. Um, it would have been, you know, early 2006. I think this movie came out in like February or something. Um, so I would have been a couple months into being nine years old. And, uh, how'd they let you in? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, it was February 2006. Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't remember how I got in. It's also the first movie I can think of that I saw without my parents. That might not be true, but um, I can't think of anything in the years immediately 
before where I didn't have my parents. Like the SpongeBob movie came out in 2004. That was a big thing for me. I had my parents with me when I saw that. Um, but by the time I was a couple months into nine, I mean, I, the world was, was my oyster. And uh, I was just running around with my friends for 12 hours of the day, basically. Um, didn't have a, lot, a whole lot of supervision. And so we uh, just crushed this movie. I, I don't even recall how I heard about the movie. I think it's just we were. I was hanging out with my best friend at the time. We uh, somehow heard that a horror movie was at the theater or maybe we just walked to the theater and picked it based on the poster. I don't remember. Um, but the experience of, of being in the theater watching this movie has always stuck with me. Um, and it's a movie that isn't all that talked about otherwise. Like, um, I don't ever see this remake brought up when people are talking about mid 2000s horror remakes from around this time, you know, stuff like, uh, the Hitcher, Black Christmas, of course, House of Wax, uh, even a few years later, Last House on the Left. Um, I, I just I never see this mentioned, even even a podcast that that uh, Corey and I um, listen to occasionally, Austerion, right, Corey, where they talk about typically two uh, thousands horror the whole movies. Two thousands, yeah. Um, I'm sure. I've heard them mention it by name once or twice, but there are other movies that they haven't yet done an episode on that they've mentioned by name far more than this. So this doesn't even seem to loom large for them. So um, it's very interesting in that way in that I haven't even been reminded about this movie in that sort of uh, cultural osmosis way that that Corey um, often, often brings movies up, you know, where you just hear about them from being online and stuff this one it's not like that at all so if i hadn't seen this movie in 2006 i don't know that i would really know anything about it um and i never saw it again on cable i didn't get the dvd and so unlike a whole lot of movies in my childhood i haven't seen it over and over i just saw it the one time um and it sort of feels like how people must have felt when they saw movies in the theater in like the 70s or the early 80s where you saw the movie and then that was it you know unless it showed up on cable or eventually when when home video really blew blew up you would see it there but for a good while there you saw a movie in a theater and that was it and and that's been my experience with this movie uh, for the last 16 years. I've I've thought about the movie often because it was a big watershed moment for um, me and my friend. Um, and uh, I, I remember a good amount of images from the film, but there's also a whole lot I had forgotten. Um, so I've thought about this movie a lot. I mean, probably like at least once a week. Uh, since that point, I would say it just pops into my head. Um, and I've meant to watch it by myself for years as well, just to revisit it, revisit it because it is an important movie for me, but I've just never gotten there. So I uh, thought this would be a great opportunity. It fits the bill. It, it fits the sort of movies that I love talking about on this podcast, but also it is very special to me. And, and the, the, the friend that I saw this movie with, um, my best friend of many years, he he died a couple months ago. And so uh, I kind of wish I had gotten to it earlier. Um, 
while he was still around and maybe I could, you know, send him a message and say, hey, I saw this movie again. But the fact that we're talking about it now is uh, really important to me and feels like it's sort of uh, tying up a, a loose end in my life. So I'm very excited to to talk about it. Well, I, I mean, first and foremost, I think I'm glad that this podcast has kind of given you the excuse to do that um, and take take the opportunity to revisit um, the movie with that sort of context in mind i think that's i think that's kind of nice um in so far as it can be so i'm excited to talk about it too um i i will say i i i might be speaking for mitch and i both uh, when i say that um i you i didn't know shit about shit with this movie um i vaguely remember maybe seeing a poster for it as i mentioned earlier but I had never seen it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who was in it. I didn't know anything about the original movie either. Um, this was basically a blank slate other than knowing that uh, scary phone call is like a horror movie trope. That was kind of all I had. Sweet. What about you, Mitch? Well, Corey, you, uh, you are speaking for me and speaking for me incorrectly. This movie loomed large over Let's my childhood. Go. Are you I, serious? Yeah. Oh, wait, Mitch, that's right. You were my third friend. That was your summer uh, in Kenora. Uh, <laughs> we went to go see it. Yeah, we went to see it. No, no. Um, that's how we met. Yeah. That would I, I don't, that would be so fucking cool if that was what happened. <laughs> Mitch and I both unlock a repressed memory. Core memory unlocked. <laughs> yeah, I've never been to Kenora. Anyway, this movie looms large over my childhood. And last week when uh, we were closing off the episode and, Le- and it was somewhat chaotic and Liam mentioned this movie, I said that I thought I saw the 1979 version because that would probably be my course of action usually. I mean, I am who I am. I probably <laughs> grab... <laughs> even, even when then, you're eight years old. Even then. <laughs> patrician taste. Yes. But um, no, I was mistaken. It was this movie that I saw. I don't oh. think I saw it when I was nine in 2006, although I would have been eight then because I have a late birthday. But uh, I saw Nerd. it I, but I saw it in... Um, <laughs> Like shortly thereafter, I think we got it from like a video store. I remember my sister telling me about it and saying that like all of her friends are creeped out by it. And uh, like she was babysitting a lot at the time and, and like babysitting us too because she's like a little bit older than, than we, like two years older. So, and, uh, yes, not one of the podcast sisters. No, no, my older sister. <laughs> and um, so I remember hearing about it and I remember seeing it and being like terrified around the time when I was being babysat and the phone call rang or the phone rang. Like I would, I would, I would just like scrunch up and be terrified. And, and I remember being horrified by this movie and the premise of just sort of home invasion in general. I was very like paranoid at, by that as, or like the prospect of that as a kid. And, um, this movie played a big part in that. So I saw it years ago. It loomed large in my mind as like everything I was afraid of as a kid outside of bicycle chains. <laughs> and uh, it, it kind of like left me. I forgot about it in recent years, but revisiting it last night with my uh, partner, Abigail, we <laughs> it was, was kind of like, oh, fuck, like this was the one I saw. I remember the house, like this dreary fucking house in a marshland, like in a wetland, in a swamp, practically this house. In a marshland. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember the more. house. I remember, I remember like nervously pacing with the fire poker. And I remember like when I got spooked, if I was like home alone as a kid, I would always like 
be like, okay, where's the fire poker in relation to me? In case- <laughs> Dude, I I can't believe how much of an impact this had on you. Oh, it traumatized me. Um, but like in a cool way. Uh, <laughs> cool trauma. The cool, yeah, cool trauma. TM, not like yeah. that nerd trauma. Yeah, <laughs> trauma for pussies. <laughs> so I'm gonna leave it there before this spirals. But yeah, Corey, what about? I guess you already said how you. What, yeah. yeah, I didn't know nothing about nothing. Um, yeah. so uh, I was uh, I was walking into this one with a blank slate. Well, uh, let me ask you this, Corey. Okay. Um, Do I have any trauma? Yes. Is it that pussy shit? Or is it- oh, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Corey. Why did you think it was okay to speak for me, you having not seen the movie? You thought I didn't see it, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's it. You I think, you were too you busy think I was a hip nine-year-old? I figured you were too busy watching either Agent Cody Banks two or like Nosferatu, uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, or some <laughs> shit. All quiet on the Western <laughs> Front as a nine-year-old. Just music, <laughs> drinking out of a fucking like brandy snifter, yeah. apple juice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the exposition's rather lousy here, <laughs> Mitch. Up until uh, and yes, Corey, I will ask you something, but now something else has come to mind, uh, Mitch. Up to two thousand six, two thousand seven, around the time you you saw this movie, what was your familiarity with horror movies of of any era? Uh, I, I don't know if I had seen one. I, I Again, there were movies before that had kind of traumatized. Like my grandfather shoved me Watership Down and that was really mm. uh, like a horrendous experience. These these emaciated poor rabbits getting ripped to shreds and all like these classic British actors playing their parts. I remember that really stirring me. Um, I was a bit of a scaredy cat when I was a kid. Like I got this pop-up book that scared me t- so bad that my mom had to like take it and hide it um so this movie like really did a number on me but i didn't watch many horror movies as a kid i would say this was one of the foundational ones many years later i would watch like trick-or-treat um oh like the the one with the little pumpkin man yeah i nice. would and uh i remember like seeing parts of other ones and just being like terrified i, I didn't really get into horror until like <sighs> Like the the mid twenty tens, I would say, like when I was a bit older. Gotcha. Okay. That yeah, that makes sense. Because I was thinking, like, if if even back then you were watching old movies, um, it, it's it's kind of funny that like to your street cred, it would be like, oh yeah, I've seen I've seen Nosferatu and I've seen Psycho, but you want to know the scariest movie ever made? When a stranger calls two thousand six. <laughs> well, I was probably in like the seventh grade when I really got into like black and white horror movies like i checked out like all the canon of like vincent price house on haunted hill like all those those like classic foundational horrors when i was a kid the classic 90s movie house on haunted hill no the 50s one (laughs) yeah um (laughs) but yeah i'd say that like that was kind of how i got into it and then i got into like sort of like italian giallo i think around that time as well uh and then sort of more into conventional slashers and then everything else so could it be said that without When a Stranger Calls 2006, you would not be the horror man you are today? No, I don't think that's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, it was traumatic, but it wasn't life-alteringly traumatic. Well, I did... Sl- yeah, I, no, no, that's pussy shit. <laughs> I can remember, like, sleeping with, like, a pocket knife that I got because I was so f- afraid with of being, knife? like... a knife? 
Yeah, with a knife. Like I like I put it under my pillow because I was terrified of that, and I was terrified of the idea of Freddy Krueger sucking me into my mattress and then like a volcano of blood like inside mm. the bed. God, you guys were way cooler kids than me. Pocket knife isn't going to protect you against that. No, Why is that no, a guy can help. You were like uh, watching adult movies and like sleeping with weapons. Oh, hey, this this movie was PG thirteen. Yeah, it's not it was fourteen A according to IMDb. <laughs> oh damn! How did I get into that theater? <laughs> 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 um, Corey, I want to ask yeah. you. Yeah. When we went to go see Black Christmas, uh, nineteen seventy four, in uh, the theater. Yes. Did you already know about the idea of like the call is coming from inside the house? That sort of trope. Oh yeah. So, did you know that that was going to be in this when a stranger calls movie? Did you know that like those were going to be connected? No, and I popped so hard when he said oh, okay. it. Okay, <laughs> okay. I was like, oh! <laughs> like, I got you. I, I didn't know if it, like, if that line delivery, like, comes from the original movie or what, but, like... Yeah, um... I have I no idea, but... I don't know exactly, because, like, obviously, it's sort of a, a just, like, a common urban legend but like the original when a stranger calls came out after the original black christmas uh so it was first in black christmas right yeah yeah yeah. and then it and then it later was the basis for the entire plot of when a stranger calls yeah yeah that's so so funny i didn't know that i would be curious to know um if it was used in Black Christmas as like an original idea or if it was something that people were familiar with in terms of uh, just like tales, you know, like scary stories. Because I first heard the uh, call is coming from inside the house idea in one of those um, scary stories to tell in the dark books I had that okay. I would read in like the second grade or something. There was just there was one in there, um, you know, like a two page story that that ended with that idea. The calls are coming from inside the house. And um, I knew that those books were just collections of like folklore and urban legends and stuff. But I don't know how far back that particular tale goes. I mean, obviously, it can't go that far back because it needs a phone to exist. And so for it to be in Black Christmas 74, maybe they did come up with it. I really don't know. The telegram is coming from inside the house. (laughs) (laughs) Morse code. Uh, okay, the so that, ink that's is still cool. wet on this letter. The letter must be coming from inside the house. The carrier pigeon was sent from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that's cool. Because when I think of when a stranger calls, I think of like, oh, that's the call is coming from inside the house movie. And then bl- when I think of Black Christmas, it's like, oh, that's the movie that ends up getting to that point. But I don't actually associate it with that movie, even though. It came first. I think When a Stranger Calls is just such an evocative title, and so it just always yeah. makes me Weirdly, think of that tale. If I have to, if somebody asked me to think of like a horror movie with a phone in it, I just think of Scream now. Like my brain just overwrote everything else, and it just goes straight there. Mm-hmm. Um, or like mm-hmm. even anything that might even have that trope in it, even though it's not. That's not precisely what is happening there. Like uh, so, some I, of those calls are coming from inside. Some the of house. them are not all of them, but at least a handful of them are. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah no so it was it was a cool reveal in this movie sick well i am so excited to hear about your guys thoughts about this movie yeah. both of you for very different reasons so this is great we have very, i did not expect mitch to have such like a a lifelong experience with this 
movie. I'm so excited. Now you know. Actually, like I have like a almost like a hereditary experience with calls coming from inside the house in relation to horror. I don't like know. The hit horror film Hereditary or yeah, do you like, mean I was debating whether or not I would tell the story because it's, it's a story. Do you guys like have a minute? Because it's it's a long one, but it's it's, it's a good <laughs> Dude, one. Dude, I've got all night. <laughs> okay, so my mom told me this story, and it actually like happened to her when she was in uni- university, like in the late '80s, like during the height of sort of like the call is coming from inside the house, like that that sort of um, era. And so my mom was in school in the late '80s, and she lived in the house with like a bunch of girls, and then they started getting these weird phone calls with like heavy breathing and they thought that it was like the guys next door. And so they were like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are you doing? Are you playing a prank? And like, they weren't. And then finally the calls sort of like intensified and they became sort of threatening. And one day one of the girls found like a letter, a message scrawled on her mirror and all the underwear, like out of her drawers that were gone. Shut up. Fuck off. I'm I'm not kidding. Do you you know what the message said? I I don't know. I don't remember. It wasn't, I know what you did last summer though. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, so eventually like they they get more creepy, more intense. Like the guys next door start like watch, watching, like the house and like taking them to classes or whatever. And they're all like, they're all terrified. And this goes on for like the period of many months and the police get involved as well. And so does like the campus faculty. And finally, I guess they found out that it was like one of their roommates doing this, that they didn't know very well. And like the police like traced the call and like verified it to it was coming from the house. And I guess like the person was just like unhappy or like, I don't. I don't know, but it, I think I think they got expelled. Um, it was like a, a woman roommate or a man. Yeah, roommate. yeah. One of the one of the girls who lived there was doing wow. that. So, are you saying just, that your mom got the call is coming from inside the house? Yeah, in real life. Yes. Holy <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. shit! Gosh. So that's a crazy story. She she tells it much better, but it's it, like they were like terrified for like an entire semester because like this person was threatening to like kill them and. Yeah. What? Wow. Yeah. This roommate is wild. Yeah. They never, I, I, I don't know if I wanted to say that or not because it's kind of like a, a personal story, but I'm glad I, I told it because it's a crazy story. That's crazy. Did, yeah. did you know about this story before you saw this movie? No, no. My mom just like told me about it like a, a couple of years ago, like over a glass wow. of wine, a glass of wine wow. one night on like the holidays. Yeah. Probably a good call by your mom. That's uh, yeah. re- regardless of, of, uh, how much uh, a movie in 2006 could impact you. Uh, if you hear that real life story from your mom that's in so 2006, hardcore. that's, that's going to hit and, way and, harder. And it's like from the 80s. So when I imagine it, it kind of has like that sort of cinematic 80s slasher. There's uh, great oh, yeah. tropes, you know? Yeah. That's anyway. so cool. Yeah. I can't believe your mom lived like a horror movie plot short of the like actual bad yeah, outcomes. Yeah. The bad. Like, shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, the movie. That's, yeah, that's really cool. That's crazy. Um, uh, cast and crew, shall we? Uh, this director credit has the craziest reveal of all time. Uh, Simon West. Do we know anything about this guy? No, I thought I recognized his name, but um, uh, this is going to be so awesome. I, I recognize the name, but I'm not sure why. Uh, I'm going to hit you with some credits here. And you're going to lose your mind. <laughs> First few, maybe not, but bear with me. Con Air. I love Con Okay, Air. all right. I'm well, actually mad surprised I didn't recognize his name more from Con Air. Lara Croft Tomb Raider, the Angelina Jolie movie. That was also foundational <laughs> for me. 
Why? In, in a, a very in, different in, sense. In a different way. <laughs> <laughs> I I was like in awe of, of Lara Croft and Tomb Raider. In awe is such a good yeah. choice in, of words. In fact, I had Tomb Raider Legends on my DS. And mm, that, she was yeah. sexy in that game. Yeah. <laughs> all, pi- all eight pixels of her. What a specimen. <laughs> you guys are fucking killing the... Did you guys study vocabulary last episode? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are crushing this. Um, the Expendables 2. Okay, sure. All right. Um, the music video for Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. Wow. I know. I wonder the guy if he gets royalties from that. When so. a stranger calls, shot the music video for Never Gonna Give You That's Up. That's what got him the job, too. They were in the boardroom, the producers, <laughs> discussing cool the movie. With, they do mirror shots in that. Yeah. Uh, coincidence? The, the genius behind the Rick role. <laughs> They tried to get Rick Astley to play the stranger, but he was busy. Then they tried to 2006, get 2006. Like, Rick Rowling was taken off, and he was <laughs> on a world tour. <laughs> That's the in the air tonight drum fill. What are you doing? <laughs> if you ask me how I'm feeling, well, that's a, that's a, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. Feeling okay. good. Okay, good talk. Um, so Liam actually mentioned uh, some movies from the next guy a little bit earlier. Um, the movie is written by Jake Wade Wall, who wrote the 2007 remake of The Hitcher. Huh. Dang, I didn't know that. Even when you said I mentioned some movie, because I was like, I don't know this man's name. What did I do? And also, cool. Cabin Fever Three: Patient Zero. Oh, um, nice! And a, tw- and a 2019 remake of Jacob's Ladder. Yes, I have heard of that, and it's on our list. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the two OG writers both get credits, and they had some wild stuff. Steve um, Feek, I think F E K E, he has an uncredited uh, writing job on Poltergeist Three. Oh, one of the best movies of all time. One of the greatest movies ever made, and also uh, he wrote Mac and Me. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um, and then Fred Walton, the other writer of the original directed the 1993 direct-to-video sequel when a stranger calls back oh yeah i've got that on our list too and i do plan to return to this well so we'll hear from this man uh the editor is a person we know well uh Mm. i swore he had come up more than once but because i remembered his name right away but it's only been the one time i guess but jeff benancourt is the editor he is the editor of black christmas 2019 and 2019 also, really yeah, oh, yeah. Man, i'm oh. gonna be sick and also the <laughs> the poltergeist remake in 2015 the mm. grudge 2 and the crouching tiger hidden dragon sequel okay uh the cinematography uh is by peter menzies jr who shot Laura Croft Tomb Raider. So Mitch, you can thank him for that. Um, A thousand thanks. Jealous of that man's job. Uh, He got to Zoom whenever he wanted. (laughs) Gross. And also the the Mark Wahlberg movie Shooter, um, Expendables 3, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Huh. The music is by James Dooley. Uh, He has done a boatload of video games. I didn't end up writing a ton of hits credits down because it was a really long list. Is Laura Croft in any of them? Uh, I'm going to double check because if it anniversary? is, that's really funny. Jim Dooley IMDb. If it's Tomb Raider Anniversary, 
tell him that his soundtrack for the motorcycle level, we have to say that it was like one of the best. It's, I uh, did just hit Control F for Tomb, and that did not come up. Uh, but if you ever played Epic Mickey The Power of Two, or Epic Mickey One, or Infamous Two, or The Simpsons Game, or SOCOM US Navy SEALs Combined Assault, or... Uh, <laughs> A movie called Jane Doe. Now you see it. Now you don't. Any of those? Dang, I didn't even know that many video games existed. There's at That's least wild. five. There's at least five video games. In if existence. you ever played the hit PlayStation Three video game Knack, you have heard Jim Dooley music. Wait, Mac like the the massive multiplayer experience? That no, was... that's that's Mag. Massive oh, Mag. action game. No, uh, I'm talking about Knack. The uh, the the one with the guy that grows big i think i don't know <laughs> it's it's the boyhood of video games <laughs> everybody knows what knack is if you know you know um so uh cast um this movie stars camilla bell as, taylor swift hates her as mm, taylor swift mm-hmm. hates her yeah what oh yeah so Better- abigail filled me in on this what like, it's, it's yeah. true she's a bit of like a a, t- a taylor swift fan but apparently like Taylor Swift was briefly dating Joe Jonas and he left her for Camilla Bell. And that's why, like, I think that's what, like, We Are Never Getting Back Together is about and a bunch of other sort of, like, it's uh, better than better than Revenge off Speak Now is the main one. Check that. It's an it's a bitter song. Yeah, I think this for, is the part where I get to tell well. you that uh, Camilla Bell starred in the Jonas Brothers music video for Love Bug. There yeah. you go. Story <laughs> checks out. Great <laughs> song, by the way. It's it's a it's a classic. It's an American classic. Um, so uh, earlier I told the guys that I had a Camilla Bell story to tell, um, and Mitch told a story, so I'm going to tell a story. Um, do you guys remember the movie Ten Thousand BC? Yes. Okay, so uh, she's she's in that movie. Uh, no, I remember um, seeing that on like on like late night TV back in ten, the day. I saw that movie in theaters in Florida. <laughs> Um, he made the trip to Florida just for 10,000 BC. Respect for Roland Emmerich's 10,000 BC uh, in the year of our Lord, February 2008. And um, so I am 11. I am no, I'm 10 years old at the time. And I'm on a trip with my mom and my sister. And we see this movie. And not unlike our discussion of Laura Croft from moments ago. Um, I guess I was just sort of like amazed mm. at the the mere on-screen presence of Camilla Bell. Didn't know mm. what was going on. And so I have a memory that has Didn't never left. what was going on. <laughs> I, I, I have a memory that has never left my brain. And in hindsight, it's very embarrassing. So I felt like I had to share it, which is so we go back to like wherever we're staying after seeing this movie and everybody's like going to bed and I stayed up late on my PSP hooked up to Wi-Fi on the web browser googling pictures I don't like where this is going I didn't no it sounds like there was a messy conclusion to this one I I was 10 there was not a messy conclusion what are you fucking talking about Oh my gosh. But I guess I was just like, is there any way to to yeah. relive watching 10,000 BC? Yeah. And, I, and I guess that's what I came up with. Just yeah. marveling at the images. I was just in awe. 
the I know, Stone, stone Age. I was, I'm tell, I was there two year, two years prior, Corey. I was right there. I mean, I didn't have the ingenuity you had, but <laughs> I did, I did quite fancy her. <laughs> I mean, you know. So stay away from her, bro. I was Sticky there in 2006. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. And then, uh, like, um, a, about a decade later, I'd see a movie with Timothy Chalamet in it. I'd have the same confusing experience all over again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Pull out so- the old PSP. Get to work. And that, it would have been, been a Vita by then. In this case, PSP stands for Peachy Sexy Peach. <laughs> anyway, I'm very glad I told that story. That's a great story. <laughs> Just a fling with Camilla Bell in Florida. Uh, she's also in some other movies, including um, Poison Ivy 2, which we did on the show. Um, Push. Uh, the music video for Heart Attack by Enrique Iglesias, another banger. And um, the movie Dirty Dancing 3 Capoeira <laughs> Nights. Oh, dear. Huh. And I'm pretty sure Capoeira is like a martial art and not a dance. I thought it was like a, like a sorority or a fraternity. Capoeira? <laughs> Sounds like one. Um, oh, my gosh. You have to go to the martial art. That can, yeah. You have to go to the Capoeira rush. It's going to be incredible. We're all going to get shit faced and drink <laughs> like jungle juice out of a bathtub. It's going to be crazy. I'm a Jill, Jill, I'm a bitch, by the way. You know that. <laughs> I know that. Everyone knows that. Anyway, there's our Camilla Bell interlude. Um, now back to the regular schedule. We need Taylor Swift to make a 10-minute version. <laughs> um, Tommy Flanagan, which sounds like the name that every slasher movie character had in the 80s. Um, so, sounds like a martyr in an, Ir- in an Irish movie. Like uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's the guy who solved the potato famine. Tommy um, Flanagan. <laughs> he, uh, he plays the stranger, the titular stranger. Uh, he's in Face Off. <laughs> Okay, cool. And also Braveheart and Gladiator. Okay, so I wasn't far off. Braveheart. I was wondering where I recognized this dude's name as you were saying it. Uh, It felt like a name I recognized, and I was like, is it just the slashers from the 80s I'm thinking of? Is Corey right? Uh, (laughs) But this dude, he's in a TV show going on right now called Power Book 4. He plays kind of like a mob boss sort of dude very irish very gruff and i've become quite familiar with him watching the show uh but i never would have recognized is him that a work show so briefly it is a work show yeah yeah cool. i was cool i actually didn't include up. that on my list because it seemed too new but alas it came up anyway that's right yeah so uh there we go then um uh he doesn't get to talk uh but the voice that comes out of his body is lance hendrickson Which so that's is, pretty cool damn shame he's got a really intimidating voice maybe it's just because he's it says here he's scottish not irish and maybe he just can't do an american accent and it wouldn't be maybe. a scary a scottish yeah. dude on the phone that might Weird. be it uh lance hendrickson is pretty cool um he's in hard target which if i remember correctly is the jean-claude van damme movie where he beats up the pittsburgh penguins mascot <laughs> um and That's also a great sentence <laughs> yeah and also like aliens and the quick and the dead those are some good movies you should quick, watch quick those. and the dead is cool yeah shout out to sam raimi maybe i think i think so it's, did sam raimi make the quick and the dead hang on the quick i can't tell. i don't even think i've heard of this movie before oh it's like a western it is yeah. it stars sharon stone and like gene hackman yeah it is sam raimi yeah it seems cool. pretty fucking cool i've never actually seen it but it's a, it it's just a cool movie seems like a good time is it a sequel to anything? 
Not that I know of. <laughs> the dead? <laughs> the night no. of the living, the quick and the dead? Oh, uh, yes. The dead. That that James Joyce novel. <laughs> um, a short story. Katie Cassidy uh, plays Tiffany, who, as we mentioned, is the queen of the 2000s um, horror remake. Uh, Black Christmas this movie nightmare on elm street liam did you say sorority row also yeah but it yeah. looks like i was wrong about that one. Oh well but that sort of type in spirit uh yeah. she's also in in- <laughs> she gave the movie her blessing <laughs> yeah they had to, to go her. on without her <laughs> the first um she's also with the flash and like i guess some of those cw shows so she's still getting paid for sure um <laughs> She's not homeless, I think. Well, well, I guess what I mean is like it's it's nice. I like when we do one of these movies that doesn't have a lot of like reputation and a lot of the people involved are still working. Like I just yeah. think that's nice. Mm-hmm. For uh, sure. Like like the next person uh is easily the most famous person involved in this movie right now, probably. Um speaking of still working, Tessa Thompson is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh before she was a much bigger deal than she is in this movie. Um Obviously, in Annihilation, Creed, Westworld, all kinds of stuff. Creed 2. Creed 3. Dear White People. (laughs) Dear White People. Passing. She was on Veronica Mars, which I found out today. Uh, And she's also in this movie. Um, I don't know how to say this guy's next name, so I'm just going to try to say it really fast and hope that nobody notices. Is that okay? Do it. Brian Garrity? Garrity? Yeah. Uh, he Man, plays. You you abandoned your plan. You I know. Down I, I too backed much. out right away. I don't know. Uh, he plays Bobby. Uh, he's part of the family of like Chicago Fire and PD shows that exist on the CW in his current career. Oh, that's it's definitely getting paid. He's maybe not going that's nowhere. I'm recognizing him. Yeah, he was I in see. the Hurt Locker as well. If you saw that, right. and he's also in uh, that Zac Efron serial killer movie, the uh, extremely right. wicked. I saw that one. Oh, he's also the, the Ted Bundy one. Yeah, yeah I okay. forgot who it was about, so I just said serial killer movie. <laughs> That's good. We don't need to give these guys a platform. No, they, um, they, no. trust me, they have enough of one. <laughs> Another cool movie he's in uh, is ATM, which features possibly, uh, I'm not going to say my favorite actor of all time, top three for sure, Josh Peck in ATM. Um, really cool, claustrophobic, single location killer killer movie that also takes place during christmas so a lot of people don't know this atm stands for at the movies and the movie takes place in a movie theater <laughs> that's right yeah i thought it stood for ass to mouth <laughs> it's, a di- it's a different movie starring josh peck yeah. you can make a lot of movies called atm and <laughs> all these mouths anybody a time machine <laughs> all that money <laughs> oh man wasn't uh um mm, forgot the dude's name. yeah no 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 worries <laughs> I'll, I'll back out now uh clark greg uh plays ben johnson which is jill's dad he's uh he's like an avengers guy he's in like agents of shield and avengers and like all those things um he was in ai uh, okay <laughs> And he was also on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Whoa. Yeah, I tried to pick some fun ones for that guy. Uh, Derek DeLint plays Dr. Mandrakis, who owns the big house that she is in in the movie. He is uh, he was on Poltergeist to the Legacy, the like TV show. Um, he was also in a movie called 
The Great Escape to the Untold Story. Anything to do with like the the McQueen movie? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it is. Nice. Uh, which is pretty wild. And he was also in Deep Impact, which is pretty cool. Like the is that the Dirty Harry movie? Um, no, oh, that's not what like, I'm thinking. Uh, What's the, what the hell is it called? I don't know. You're thinking of uh, Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> it's not true. I think I'm Sudden Impact, maybe. Yeah, Deep yeah. Impact is like a sci-fi. They got to stop. Uh, uh, they got to stop like a yeah. comet from Earth or something. I'm thinking of Sudden Impact. Uh, Robert Duvall and Morgan Freeman and Elijah Wood are in it. Good cast. Uh. Kate Jennings plays or Kate Jennings Grant, sorry, plays uh, Kelly Mandrakis. Uh, this one's for just for Mitch. She was in Frost Nixon. I'm pretty sure you like that movie. I honestly haven't seen it. I why did I think you had seen it? What am I thinking of? I like I like I like the Nixon film by with like I like Secret Honor and I like the Nixon movie by Oliver Stone from those uh, Nixon movies. Yeah, those two movies are great. I haven't seen Frost Frost Nixon, but Secret Honor is like. The best is that the Nixon. speech? Is that like the monologue movie? It's it's with Philip Baker Hall, and it's he just plays like Nixon on the eve of his impeachment, like wildly drunk in his office, like speaking into a voice recorder with a bottle of scotch on the desk and a loaded pistol. Um, <laughs> it's a wild movie. It's so God, I gotta see that. I it's think it's on Criterion Channel, right? It's Robert Altman. Yeah, if it's not on Criterion, the whole thing's on YouTube. But I would never plug a thing like that for our listeners because that's illegal. It's true. And we've never broken the law. I have never broken the law, especially not for the show, especially not for this episode. I've also never lied. Yeah. I have lied a lie in two years. years. <laughs> it's just like George Washington. Michelle <laughs> of it. Um David Denman uh plays the cop uh who mostly exists as a voice. I should specify. Officer Burroughs, the cop in the second half of the movie, not to be confused with the detective at the beginning of the movie. Um, he is in uh, 13 Hours, the Michael Bay Benghazi movie, um, and also The Office and yes. Brightburn. I reckon it was yeah. cool seeing him. It was, uh, it it was took cool me a second. Him do something that's not an office shtick. Cool seeing him not have a beard for me because I know him from Brightburn. And so seeing him uh, 13 years prior looking all smooth it was very cool. You know what's crazy? Um, David Denman and John Krasinski are both in 13 Hours, the Benghazi movie, and um, it's both the movie where they just got to be like big, burly, bearded action men after being on The Office for like a decade. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. Isn't that I, weird? <laughs> I, I bet they got picked out at the same point. Like the producer was watching The Office at 2 a.m. He was like, like these guys. And he was like, yo, somebody these get guys, these guys in front of Michael Bay. <laughs> these guys could be burly. Um. Uh, Arthur Young plays uh, Will Mandrakis, who's the little boy. Uh, Madeline Carroll plays Allison Mandrakis, who's the little girl. She is actually in um, Resident Evil, a couple of those movies, and also Santa Claus 3. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I recognized her. Uh, Steve Easton plays Detective Hines at the beginning, who is also in Con Air. um, Oh, nice. And is in Field of Dreams and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Dang. Yeah, not bad, eh? No. Yeah, bad. that's looking good. And then we've got I'll rattle through the last few here. Uh John Bobek, Brad Sarosky, uh Karina Logue, who is the track coach at the beginning of the movie. She was on the Scream TV show. Um nice. Rosine Ace Hatem or Hatem probably, probably not Hatem. Uh Escher Holloway, Owen Smith, Jessica Faye Helmer, Lily West and Diana Agron. 
So when a stranger calls is about what happens when you use your cell phone too much. It's also about uh, the ubiquity of landlines. You can't get away from them. It is also about the ubiquity of landlines. Um, it's also about the wind. Yeah. It's also about like why you just shouldn't build in wetlands and remote wetlands, you know, conservation. You shouldn't build your house there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be, you know, victimized by strangers yeah, who call. Yeah. It's about why you shouldn't babysit. Yeah. It's about why, why children were a mistake. I, I think it's why babysitters ought to be unionized as well. I think yeah. it's also about um, uh, revolutionary technology in the bedroom lighting space. Uh huh. Especially like, are we talking about like the kaleidoscopic lighting that those kids have? Because that's fucked lighting. I'm talking about both that lighting and also just lights that turn on if they sense that you walk into a room. Yeah. Rich, okay, jokes aside, people. this movie is very much just about sitting in a house while phones ring. But, um, so Jill is your typical uh, high school teenager who wants <laughs> not, to party. Not a bitch. Not a bitch. N- never once. Uh, she's never hasn't been a bitch in two years. <laughs> <laughs> so she is having a, a tough patch with her boyfriend and she is grounded from going to the big high school bonfire because she went over uh, her cell phone minutes by 800 minutes, which uh. is the most 2006 reason for a punishment I could possibly imagine. We, we've all been there. Um, yeah, we cut the tail end of phones needing minutes to use. All of us got grounded from our local Wicker Man festival because we went over. <laughs> dude, that bonfire looks fucked. Yeah, burned the red like mock Burning Man. <laughs> uh, dude, this movie distorted my perception of what teenage life would be like so much. I was like, oh, dude, I want to go to Wicker Man and babysit kids in rich ass houses, and it never happened. I didn't even. Have, I didn't never even got a cell phone. I totally bungled the teenage thing. Um, so Jill, uh, is being punished by having to go to, uh, babysit at this big fancy mansion while her parents go see Baroque chamber music. And, um, she's also having a bit of a difficulty with, uh, her friend group because the reason she's having a bad time with her boyfriend is that her, one of her best friends made out with her boyfriend. Uh, it's all very messy and scandalous, but, uh, so she gets dropped off, uh, what a bitch. Uh, so she gets dropped off at, uh, um, she gets dropped you guys, have you guys ever seen that youtube video from like 2007 called shoes yeah, oh, yeah. oh my god shoes <laughs> so you're making me think of right now just a bit more mid-2000s nostalgia for you and, uh, have you guys ever seen the video for power to thirst power yes <laughs> oh my gosh i forgot how politically incorrect that yeah, was yeah we can't quote that one but, yeah. uh, um boy the 2000s am i right um so uh jill goes to this big house to babysit um these two kids that are already asleep uh and the parents are just going out for the evening and they'll be back around midnight there is a housekeeper there there is potentially uh another like college-aged kid in a guest house this is this like labyrinthine gigantic mansion and she basically it's barely even babysitting she's basically house sitting um there is an interior bird sanctuary and koi pond in the middle of the house. There is like three stories. It's just labyrinthinely gigantic. But um, she wants to try to get a chance to chat with her boyfriend to see if she can sort of sort things out. And as she wants to do this, uh, she starts getting calls at the house 
from some creepy guy. Definitely not from inside the house. Definitely not from inside the house. Um, and you know, things go from there. <laughs> uh, the calls get more threatening and more immediate, and she starts getting more concerned. And then, uh oh, there's a guy in the house. Um, I did realize that just now that I've glossed over the pre-title card moments of the movie, which in my understanding are essentially just a send up to the original movie. I think somebody can correct me if I'm Mm. wrong. I guess uh, I had never thought of it. I guess it's sort of an inversion of the original movie because the, the original movie, the first 20 minutes or so is, um, the the ba- the sort of babysitting i don't remember if she is babysitting but it's the it's, house part it's the house part and uh and then the last hours like police procedural stuff and so i guess so, i guess it's sort of a flip of that but it's also just I think like a, it's a very intentionally that yeah but it is, it is also just like a, a typical horror movie cold open where you, you but come i in will and... say it's got a it's got one really cool idea though which is uh it, kids it does die a, but it does a really good job early on. And I didn't realize right away that this was because of rating. It definitely is. But I didn't realize this at the time. But um, it does. Uh, it does show don't tell by not showing you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um, the detective goes to see the body and it's been so mutilated that he just looks like he's going to puke and has to leave. It comes and out then, in three bags. And then they carry it out in like 800 mm. body bags. And you're like, oh, this is going to be gnarly. <laughs> That's so um, ridiculous. Yeah, I will say my quick comment on the opening of the movie because i'm not going to talk about it very much so i just want to get this out of the way before we even get to our assessment of the movie am i the only person who thought this opening with the carnival when they're like coming up into the house and everything the police are looks fake it looks like it, it, looks, it bad. looks like it looks like they did it on like a set and then green screened the background of wherever the house was into the background on the porch mm. i felt like i was going fucking crazy it looks so weird <laughs> And that's the only time anything in the movie looks like that. Yeah, I bet they did too, right? Like they're because it's a very um, intentional sort of. It's it's a, it's it's uh, realistic in that like it's just a house and a carnival, but also it is so. Um, you're 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 going to be hard pressed to find a, a real nice house like that right next to like a carnival affair or oh something yeah like they, had, that. they had to stitch this together and so yeah it's a cool idea that was stitched together and i do think it's a really cool idea um that someone is having just the worst day of their lives and, incidentally, their families the murdered. They're, they're screaming and getting <laughs> murdered to death as people are just hooting and hollering for yeah. some balloons yeah, so I do like that, but you're, you're right. It does look very, yeah. very odd. And so that must be what it is, Corey. They patched it together. Could have been. Uh, anyway, I, I feel like I had to talk about that. So you guys have a lot more history with this movie than I. So I want to I let you guys sort of take the lead here. So Liam, you are revisiting this movie after a while. Um, and I want to know what you thought of it. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I heard someone say on a podcast um, oh, a no. couple months ago that uh, it was a music podcast. Okay, and uh, you're not going to drag one of us? 
No, no, Jesus, no. <laughs> I, I, heard, I was listening to They Made Another One, and I heard this guy named Liam making a really astute point, and then the other two hosts were just like, derp, 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 <laughs> and it, it really stuck with me. No. Um, I was listening to a music podcast, and uh, this the host of the podcast said something that I thought was really interesting, and uh, I've kind of been thinking about it since. She said that, I've come to the conclusion in my mid-30s that um, everyone is the same person they were when they were 13 years old. That like, you know, your tastes can change, uh, your situation in life can change, your maturity can change, but at the core of it, you're the same person you were, uh, that you were when you were 13. Uh. And, that bodes terribly for me. <laughs> and and I, I heard it and I was like, that's ridiculous. Mitch like, is going to sleep with a pocket knife for the rest of his life. I uh, I would not like to hang out with my 13-year-old self. I don't think that's true at all, um, is what I initially thought. But um, I've been thinking about it over the last few months. I thought about it when I went to go see the new Scream movie. And, and now I've thought about it again um, in revisiting this movie. I was a bit younger than 13 when I saw this. Like I said, I was about nine. But um, I do think it sort of holds up because when I saw this movie in 2006, um, despite the fact that that me and my friend really had a great time, we sat at the back of um, the one theater in the one screen in our three screen theater that is like a... Um, it has stairs going upward and it has like a section to the right and then there's the middle and then there's another section to the left and those two sections on the side sort of go back farther into darkness than the other sections and uh, you're at the back of a wall. There's no doors or space behind you. And so it's it's sort of the creepy of the three theaters because the other theaters are just a, um, a slightly indeclined ground without any stairs. Um, we sat at the very back of, of the creepy theater with no one behind us, nowhere to go behind us, and just like a, a small space that's about a couple feet wide um, behind our chairs. And so we were really gassing each other up like, yo, how, how crazy would it be if there was a killer behind us hiding in, in this little space right now? And we, we had a really fun time with that. But... Um, the movie I thought was very corny. I didn't think it was scary at all. Um, I thought it was pretty bland. And I think that's why I, I never had the, the drive to revisit it as a child to like pick it up on DVD and show it to my friends. And, um, I think that is just because by the time I was nine years old, I had already seen much gnarlier stuff. And I was I already so based. It's that. <laughs> that's why I'm the same person that I was when I was nine. Is because when I was nine, I was sick, dude. Um, no, but I think this is very much an introductory horror movie for people that haven't really seen any horror movies. Um, and that's not only kids, because like Corey said, this is like a, a PG-13 or if you're in Canada, 14A movie. Um, but there are also people in their teens who like aren't into horror movies and they might just be looking to uh, go uh, have a bit of frights with their friends, like jump a little bit. And this movie does that, but there's really not anything uh, between the lines here, I think, that can... Uh, 
really like strike a chord in the horror aspect. And then besides that, I think the writing for the characters and and what the characters get um, to do and what the killer gets to do, I think it's all just very slight. And so um, this movie did not... uh, really hit me back then as a movie that I latched myself onto besides the fact that it was uh, a formative experience just because it was the horror movie I went to go see. Um, And watching it again, I was hoping that I would find that quirky mid-2000s love that I have for so many of those movies like Black Christmas and like House of Wax, these movies that like were sort of uh, critically um, either looked over or panned at the time because they're not what you might call... uh, what film critics might call like a a good horror movie you know they Mm. seem corny and uh and cheesy and um but i really love movies like that and so i was hoping that this movie would have those flavors to it and i really don't think it does i i think that um it is it pulls so many of its punches um i don't think there's a whole lot of uh heart or or passion uh radiating from this movie it it very much just feels like let's assemble a horror movie uh that teens are going to go to because it's like the only horror movie out in february and uh it's gonna follow the very basic horror movie plot of uh um shadows windy creepy sounds like Corey said a couple cat scares uh a cheap horrible cat scare that's like the worst <laughs> jump scare i've ever seen keep going though. um an intimidating figure in the killer but like we're not actually gonna put any work into killer as to either a who he is or if you're not going to show who he is you're going to do the black christmas thing well then i think the filmmaking has to do a lot more work to make this dude scary and intimidating but i think the killer in this movie is basically like a non a non-entity i think that uh total missed opportunity i think that this dude does not stick with me at all he didn't stick with me back then and uh there's a moment at the end of this movie that befuddled me even when i was nine years old not in the scary sense um there's there's the moment where you see the killer's face at the very end and he's staring at jill when he's being escorted away in the cop car and he has kind of these scars on his cheek I was so confused by that. I was a, as a kid, I was thinking like, "Oh, this must be someone we saw earlier in the movie. Who am I supposed to be recognizing here?" And I thought about that a lot over the years, and eventually I came to the conclusion that, "Oh, I don't think we're supposed to recognize this guy at all. It's just supposed to be a big moment because it's the first time we get a good look at his face, and that's supposed to mean something. Uh, give him like some sort of." Uh, uh, presence like oh it's just a kind of a normal looking guy but he has some scars this could happen to you it just doesn't doesn't resonate with me at all so yes i think this is a pretty bland um not offensively it's not an offensive bad movie i just think that it is so bland that some people might find that offensive i didn't i didn't find it offensive like this isn't a, a uh, sub um like five out of 10 movie. Like I think it is basically a five out of 10 cause it's just mm-hmm. super duper average. Um, and I did, despite me saying all this, you know, this isn't like the, the movies that I come down on that I'm not positive 
um, on on this podcast where like I didn't really want to be watching it or it like really bummed me out or something like that. I had a, I had a fine time watching this, especially because it was revisiting a movie from my childhood. Um, and I, I do like the 2000s vibe. I like the talks about cell phones. I like that they're using landlines. It's a really interesting moment in time where they're still attached to the landline, but also the cell phone is a thing. I like these 2000s actors. I like some of the ridiculous uh, uh, archetypal teen lines and the line deliveries that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So I'm a I bitch. Right, like that's that's good stuff, and it's it's undeniable. So, um, I did have an okay time watching it, but I would only recommend it to people who are like all in on two thousands horror and like need to check out every inch of it. Um, uh, but other than that, I think it is a very unremarkable horror movie that I really wish had more in it to make it stand out like some of those other 2000s horror movies I love because it is such a great premise and Mitch is, was absolutely right to be scared of this sort of concept as a kid I love home invasion movies the idea of the call is coming from inside the house super scary um, so I would love for like this sort of movie to to be remade again and and tweaked a bit because I think they just do this as basically as possible and uh, it does not add up to much um, so uh, that's how I've I've grown over the last 16 years. App- apparently not much because uh, this did not leave much of an impression on me. And I bet 16 years from now, I will basically just have the same memories of this movie that I had when I was nine years old. Like a couple images will stick with me. And then other than that, it'll be gone. You'll be like, man, remember when uh, you had a home phone and also it had a clip so you could put it in your pocket? <laughs> oh man good times good times um, so mitch mitch <laughs> i'm a mitch you I'm know that everyone oh my god this is so inventive i never heard that like in schoolyard bullying oh no <laughs> well guess what took me an hour to come to it though we're we're bringing it back <laughs> 2006 um, <laughs> a stranger calls back right. uh so mitch Mitchell, um, thank you, uh, <laughs> Mr. Kadrowski. Um, yes, what, what about you? What, did you have um, uh, uh, meaningful and significant growth over the past several years, or what? Well, I have, um, but revisiting this movie uh, awakened a lot of feelings inside of me. I, I started. <laughs> I started get the PSP I, out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not those kinds of feelings. I. I almost felt ashamed for being as like frightened of this oh. movie as, as I was when I was a kid. Cause I, this movie is a mediocrity. It's, Come to the dark side, it, Mitch. Let's it's, go. Uh, it's I, I, Liam says that he would recommend it to super fans of 2000s horror. I don't think I would even do that. Even if you're like a completionist, I'd say, listen, but I'd pull you aside and say, you can skip this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, and, and I, Abigail felt the exact same way. This movie and this, this, indeed this like premise the call coming from inside the house it's an old cliche kind of like a fireside chiller and it works but it it this movie is kind of like missing why it why it could work or i think it it buckles under a few things and i think like a like the house and the setting isn't really doing it for me there's a few things this movie does do really well like i think um it conveys like a lot of like 
you know, what the anxieties that kind of come with being home alone when you're like kind of sketched out by something. And um, like it, it does that really well. There's potential here, but it, it doesn't deliver. I, uh, I was really disappointed with this movie because I was hoping that I'd like, you know, uh, reconnect with this movie that, that really scared the daylights out of me when I was a kid, but I didn't. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a no for me for a lot of reasons, but I think the largest one is that it just could, can't live up to like what it could be. Um, and I think in part it's because of that PG 13 rating rating. And uh, there's a lot of sort of, and it falls apart in the last act, especially with um, sort of the action sequences and how it uses this house to like enable the set pieces, like it, like the fighting in the carp pond. Like why doesn't the bad guy just like go in? It's it, 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 yes. dr- it drifts into kind of like pantomime or like physical comedy. Like it's, it's, it's big and funny and jokey and, and kind of like, absurd and implausible like i think if they kept it grounded if they just had it like in an ordinary person's house i think that it would be much more um effective but instead the call is coming from inside the ordinary person's house yeah instead it's like in this like dreary like swamp mansion um yeah it's a no from me on every front what about you Corey? um i think i liked it the most but my conclusions are similar um, I think this movie drives me crazy because all the potential is there. Mm-hmm. I I think the ideas are so good, and this movie's restraint is is honestly kind of remarkable. And I think that if it first of all, I think the movie needed to be rated R. Yeah, and I think if the movie kind of crescendoed into some really kind of gnarly shit, yep, um, that would really elevate it because the the patience and the care and the tension building, however wrote by horror movie standards, that goes into that the bulk of the middle of the movie is is really interesting to me. Like the movie is very dedicated to this is a movie where you're mostly watching one person go from room to room and things get gradually more tense. And I think that's bold. I think it's a gamble. I don't think it fully pays off, but I can see in my mind the version of the movie where it does. And that movie's incredible. Um, This movie doesn't totally get there, but um, there's still a decent amount of things that I do like about it. Um, it's, it does execute on a few things that I think work a lot. Um, as weird as it is, cause I've never seen a house with the lights that turn on when you walk into the room. That's such a good bit for a horror movie to have. And the, like the alarm system and how elaborate it is. It, it, it could have yeah. been. Yeah. There's a lot like, yeah, the mechanisms, the movie has all the pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it coalesces. Yeah. Um, much like you guys are saying, I will say as well that um, I I I spent most of the movie trying to decide whether or not I liked or hated Camilla Bell's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her I, performance specifically, because uh, you know well, I, lo- I loved other things about her. <laughs> Your um, old PSP was in the other hand. I was ten. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> I was using it with two hands, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> but, um, uh, I think I actually liked it in the end. Um, huh. But 
I wasn't. I spent a lot of the movie not being sure, which I don't think is a good sign. <laughs> yeah, but, it means if you watch it again, you might hate it. Yeah, but I've decided I like it uh, for now. But um, also the the Tiffany interlude doesn't really work. Oh, the um, Tiffany interlude, great band. Th- it could have been done so that. much better. Like she could have yep. been killed, yep. and it could have been shocking. And like, but. The gates uh. closed and there's a log in the way. <laughs> and then there's like a predatory shot, like a POV. Horrible. Anyway, scary wind. Wind is fucking scary. Um, you guys know that. Uh, every time, like I'm kind of fumbling with keys, you know, when I get home late or if I drop some keys getting out of my car or something, the classic horror movie thing. This is always the scene i think of probably just because it, it might have been the first time i ever saw the, the whole key idea and so when uh um tiffany is is dropping her keys and she's trying to get into her car and leave the mansion this is always the movie i think of um not because the scene scares me at, at any point not now and and the, not the, back then the, but just since the first time agree. i saw it it's objectively hilarious that she goes all the way to the end of the driveway it moves the branch the comically gigantic branch like yeah and it's just like she correct me if i'm wrong maybe i missed something but she has no reason to be as on edge and scared as she is not right one it's just windy it's, it's just, just windy. it's just windy and so the camera is moving out and uh, around and with these noises but like jill has a bit more reason you know she's got prank calls she's got a call that might not be a prank call she's in unfamiliar territory but uh Tiffany drove her ass over here. She decided to be here. She got in just fine. She was not creeped out when she arrived. It's not like she got into the house and was like, yo, I thought I saw someone. I thought I saw a shadow outside. You know they or, Man, it's do, scary. It's opinion, windy outside. But, they yeah. needed the guy to be in the car. Yeah. yeah in the backseat, in the backseat, like Tenebrae yeah, with a piano wire. Yeah, you know? they, needed, they needed that. I, then, think. Like, I, blood, think, I think that would have sold that. Blood because, like, splurting, like Because, the, I don't know. Like I sometimes find myself getting like irrationally on edge if I'm like out late at night and the weather is just absolutely fucked. Like mm-hmm. if it's just like the wind is just fucking howling and there's like sideways rain and like all kinds of wacky shit going on. Like I find that that can be a bit of a bone chiller. Um, but uh, <laughs> a, a, bit of a, chiller. a bit of a goose bumper. <laughs> a bit of a bone chiller. A bit of a uh, heart thumper. PSP edition. Stop. <laughs> What does that even mean? <laughs> Whatever you want um, it to mean. It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. But uh, so I can see like to just like, oh, man, spooky weather out here. I can see that. But yeah, I think the rated R version of this movie is awesome. It oh, just yeah. doesn't it just doesn't exist. And I think I think mm. you could keep it in the 2000s era because I think it works well as sort of the last yawn of like landline thrillers or um I like. I think set it back in the eighties and go like all out. Yeah, I th- I th- I would think if they were to do this movie actually, again, I really could, I completely disagree with setting it in the eighties. Why? Because we need more movies that aren't just hey we're doing an eighties thing. All right, Str- strongly disagree with that. But back this- then, it would have been kind of novel though. Right, but like this movie feels unique in its execution now because precisely of when it was made, it wouldn't. I don't. I think this movie would lack appeal had they done that at the time. What do you mean? I mean, they they did. But, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is, like, oh, there's a bajillion '80s movies yeah. and throwback '80s movies that it, that would make it more boring. I don't know. Yeah, this, I mean, this I, at I least guess feels like of a moment. 
I guess if they changed it to 80s and and did nothing else, but like uh, this movie is is solely going for appeal, and so um, mm-hmm. I think it was more appealing to see teens with cell phones at the time. And I think nowadays, if they were going to make it and just go for appeal, they probably would set it in the 80s. I think if you went, uh, for, I, th- I think that would actively make it worse. If you went for that Baroque De Palma like 80s style with like, but everything is that. I don't fucking. It's want not it done anymore. that well though. It's not done like that as the, well. That's the thing though. Is like I just we got to do something else. All right, like we'll agree to disagree. I agree that there's a lot, but I think it would still be good if they spun it in the '80s. If I want to go watch a movie about a babysitter using a phone, I'll go watch The House of the Devil so I can see Greta Gerwig eat that pizza again. Yeah, you know, Corey. Uh, over the last, uh, I guess. Um I probably saw The House of the Devil for the first time like eight years or something. Ever since then, that has also been my reference point for this one, A Stranger Calls movie. I've always thought oh, back I thought to it, it and yeah. I've thought and I've always thought like that when A Stranger Calls movie, there's not a whole lot that sticks out about it. I think it was sort of just like a House of the Devil type movie where she's just walking around the house for an hour. And it's true. It's uh, well, and much like The House of the Devil, there is uh, a movie where more stuff happens. That's a better movie. <laughs> Yes, like yeah. a like a theoretical version of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, but I think House of the Devil. Um, and if you don't know about House of the Devil, Mitch, it's like a uh, um, a movie that came out in a two thousand nine, but it takes place in the eighties, and it's about this this uh, college age woman who goes to house sit at at a big old house, um, and. Mm-hmm she just kind of wanders around this creepy house for about an hour and eventually uh some death starts happening and some scary stuff starts happening but it is very much just a woman in a house in a dark house well there's there's one really good thing before that and then there's a bunch of house Mm -hmm. yeah this movie could have benefited from something like that oh dude dude if if this if when a stranger calls had that moment from uh the house of the devil in it something like that if the tiffany thing was like that this movie goes up like three points on the out of ten scale immediately and like oh go ahead um sorry mitch hopefully this leads Hmm. into what you're about to say um and it it this movie should have something like that like what happens in house of the devil um it's sick but it's not all that novel i mean it's just the idea of like uh you're telling a story and then at the around the beginning of the second act or so you need something big to happen in order to get people to sit up in their seats again and then you can mellow out again and before your climax and this movie doesn't really have that i mean it it's obvious it obviously tries to have it with tiffany fumbling with her keys but because of the pg-13 rating i think this movie just can't do anything with it like i said it, it pulls its punches and so to have tiffany go out into the car and the 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 climax of the scene is that she's scared by the wind and then we cut away and then we don't actually get any um any uh conclusion from that until jill ends up finding her body that is is also in a in a pretty tame state. I mean, she's kind of pale and she's she's certainly dead, but we don't really get any answers and I think this movie relies way too much on the idea of uh um ambigu- ambiguity is more scary. I kind of think 
that that's a crock. I think for my personal taste, I tend to believe that like show me stuff and that's the stuff that's going to get stuck in my head. Otherwise, I'll just like stare at a wall and think about uh, all the scary stuff I can. But I would rather a movie show me like explicit scary stuff. Um, and this movie, it, it really doesn't do it. Mitch, are you able to comment on that or, or say what you wanted to say? Uh, what I had to say wasn't really important. Um, I disagree. Oh, I was just, I was just because we were talking about like I guess you were talking about ambiguity and and how you know you think the fear of the unknown's a crock and I, I think that's true to to some degree but I think that it's kind of like you know it's central to this movie with this sort of like unseen person and I think once they unveil that ambiguity and he's just like this like hulking like dopey mass like it it, it kind of sucks like that whole reveal is shit um, I think also I'm interested in like what's going on i think outside of the house and like you guys might disagree but i think like it could have added some interesting stylistic flourishes if they like show like how ignorant people are on like the outside of like this terror um like it, it goes to like the, like the campfire a little bit but i think like there's definitely like other opportunities to sort of cross cut with like other events um like for example, like her parents are off to like I don't know, like a an opera or something. Or Baroque this, chamber music, right? Um, again, you could have like some great opportunities with like cross cutting and like the setup. Maybe have some Vivaldi. I don't know. Um, Vivaldi's never a bad choice. It, but, never, it, never, especially if it's like you know the winter part of the Four Seasons. Um, but can I push back on this idea slightly? Push back because you you probably like I want to keep the drama central yeah. in you, the home. You push back, Corey, and then I'll push back on you. Go ahead. Oh, dude, this is just a good old fashioned boy shoving fight. Um, so I think that the movie's greatest strength is how little it leaves the house. Hmm. Um, I I think it's it's a borderline courageous creative choice. To not leave the house. I think um, the outings that they do have out of the house are kind of worthless. Um, like I agree. I wish they didn't ship. do them. Yeah. Um, I I think that it's really intriguing to me how rooted the movie is in letting this sense of tension in Jill specifically build over time and how that's supposed to theoretically translate into the audience. And I think that it would be diminished if cut away from it on a regular basis, because I think one of its greatest achievements is focusing so heavily on a single thing. I think it's like you might be right in that in a, in a way, but I think like the opportunity for like dramatic irony, like if you wanted to imbue it with just like, I don't know, like the, the parents being ignorant of like what's going on and everybody else. I feel like you you have some like opportunity for like dramatic irony or like at least like a, a comic irony anyway. Um, like if you wanted to imbue it with that sort of dark wit, I think it would be a good opportunity. Cause I think this movie is like severely lacking in any sort of like wit. It's just like drew, like dreary, like, Oh my gosh, like things are getting worse. And I'm walking through like a house. Like I, I think it's, it, it, it's kind of like boring. Um, I'm not saying that I want it to be like a comedy or played for laughs, but I, I think, I personally get bored of just like this impractical house and like how it's designed and like I'm like it's it's oppressive design. I'm like who the fuck would even want to live in a place like this? I just, Rich people with bad taste. They do have horrible taste. Um, but yeah, 
Um, yeah, I, I am more on Mitch's side with this one. I, I do love the idea um, of really just focusing on this house and, and having her walk around in it and we st- stay with her. Um, I think that it is a courageous idea and I think it's would be really cool. But I think that this movie proves um, pretty quickly that it does not have like the filmmaking and the suspense chops to make that worthwhile. I don't, I'm not feeling the tension when we're sticking with her and she's just getting these calls that aren't that scary. She's not actually exploring all that much of this house. Like they establish early on that there are three floors to this house, but um, she stays just in the same sort of area on the first floor for a good while. Um, we have these. <laughs> they couldn't the, get access to the whole house. <laughs> it really does feel that way. We ha- we have these kids who are mentioned to be sleeping in their beds the entire time. Um, and she arrives in the daytime, which is very strange. But they say that the kids have the flu, so okay, I guess the kids are are staying. Yeah, that there. is weird. <laughs> and yeah. so that's hanging over the movie. And so I'm I'm thinking that okay, maybe it's setting it up. So she hasn't checked on these kids yet. Oh, have you checked on the children? And and she might be thinking, oh shit, I. I haven't seen the kids once since I got here. And so she goes up and the kids are in fact just there sleeping finely. And so they're really, I don't think there's any tension at all. Um, And it is just a whole lot of dramatic, scary music just layered over the whole time she's there. Um, And there's like one or two shots in the film where the house actually does look intimidating. Like there's one where the hallway just looks really long that she's about to creep down. And there's another where she's going up a staircase and the the frame of the camera is sort of tilted and she uh, is like climbing up what looks like this narrow passage of the staircase. But I think those moments are, are really few and far between. And so because... Um, I don't think that the few moments that the movie does cut away to like the, the wicker man festival or whatever. um, I don't think that the movie would be any stronger without those moments, just because I don't think the movie would have really done anything with the extra few minutes that it has of her being in the house. I think it still would have been just as boring. And so we end up in this weird sort of middle place where it is cutting away. And so I'm thinking, okay, what is going to happen with this Tessa Thompson character? What's going to happen with uh, this boyfriend character, Bobby? Why are these characters introduced? Why does this Wicker Man festival matter? And I'm hoping the pieces will come together and that we are going to get maybe some of the dramatic irony that, that Mitch is mentioning that is established in the first scene of this carnival next to this house. And it just doesn't end up happening. Those characters, the friends outside of the house end up being like totally perfunctory and just mean nothing. Like we have about six or seven characters who are introduced in this movie and the body count ends up being besides the implied family at the beginning of the film it and the body count ends up being two and we don't see any of those two die on screen it's it's just off screen and their bodies show up later and so um it feels like they just uh <clears throat> They um, either they shot a whole lot and then they had to cut down the movie a bunch or they just like had some sort of a clause where it was like, yeah, we have to have X amount of cast members in this movie. So we're going to show them quickly, but uh, we're not going to do anything with them. 
And then when we're actually in the house where the meat of our story is, again, there's there's not enough being done to make that interesting either. Like this, I don't like what they do with this Rosa character. She feels totally incidental. I, do, I really don't like what they do with the kids, um, how the kids are stowed away in the room for so long. And then when the kids do emerge, they're just there to cry and be scared. And like the tension is supposed to be there because they're kids. But um, that's really not enough for me. Um, and so... I, I think the movie kind of folds in on itself and isn't cool in either aspect of the outside or the inside world. The ending does really whiff that last, like the whole last act really falls it's apart. Tough. I, well, I, I would like to say that I appreciate that they finally fired a uh, Chekhov's koi pond um, by making her <laughs> get under the bridge. I liked that. I thought that, yeah, that was, um, uh, the, the, I fucking hated that. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm with well, Cor- if you're, you're going to be in a big, elaborate, stupid fucking house, you may as well use all of it. Yeah, That's but I mean, tr- th- that whole sequence and how it's framed where it's like, I'm on one side, I'm on the other, I'm on one yeah, side. Yeah, welcome I'm, to movies. Dumb. I don't know, man. Like, dumb! No, yeah, that they, they should have done way more with that, and a better movie totally would have. It makes I, no I sense. I agree, but like, I don't know, um... Uh, like it could have been way more brutal. But, like instead, like, he's like, like, "Ooh, scoopity doop, scoopity." I, I again, not to keep bringing up the house of the devil, um, but why isn't this like? Because in that movie, she's basically just house sitting. Um, she this movie should not be about a babysitter. She should just have to be there for some reason. I right? think so too. Like, and it's I just, like or maybe it's idea. her own. But like, but then you have to be okay with the kids being there, and they're fucking useless. But that they are in, in a in a way like. Um, you can't tell me that you think the bridge thing was dumb, but you think the usage of the kids was fine. So I that's that, insane. I th- no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think the usage of the kids was fine because I think that they were kind of weak and like and how they did that. But I think like the idea of like, have you checked the children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you that, need that. That whole like that was- I- idea is. Um, is strong and I think is what adds like a lot of like the weight to the situation because she has an obligation to be uh, taking at taking care of these people and I think that that's like central to the dramatic crux of the film or at least it ought to be I think in practice it isn't here necessarily or not God, he's got a good phone voice huh yes uh, yeah ap- apparently uh, it's even better than Tommy oh, Flanagan I mean, I've done this to get him specifically <laughs> I've done this before uh, what <laughs> um yeah i think the babysitting idea uh is essential to the story um at least it it ought to be it ends up absolutely not being i mean you're right Corey. it just feels like she's house sitting and then the children are this just there in the last 20 minutes for her to Mm -hmm. to drag along and i think the idea is just like very surface level trying to manipulate the audience into there are kids here so the stakes should be higher but i think the movie needs to do 
uh, a bit more work than that. It, it it really doesn't. I mean, for a whole lot of the movie, we forget about the kids. I think it's really strange that the movie doesn't introduce the kids earlier. Even just like... It's an she, insane choice to have them be asleep when she shows up. It's fucking crazy. It, it, it has to be some sort of like the kids just like couldn't say their lines or something. I really don't get it because she should have just shown up there and the kids are like they greet her but like they're sick and they're like okay we're gonna we're gonna go up to bed um the fact that the kids are in bed the entire time could have been cool if it ended up turning into something that was like atypical something weird like he had already gotten to the kids or the kids weren't even there to begin with and the parents were in on it and there there are no kids something like that but the fact that there are kids there the entire time uh just makes absolutely no sense why they have the absent invisible kids hanging over the movie for an hour and then the kids just all of a sudden are characters i do not I do not get it. Um, so it does feel like she's house sitting, but it shouldn't feel that way because um, on the base level, they're right that it, looking o- after kids and having to assume that responsibility as a 16 year old um, is really interesting. And a 16 year old having to defend kids against a killer, that's like way above their pay grade. But the fact that she's got to do it because it's come to that, that is really interesting too. But uh, it, it just, it doesn't not do anything with it. And I think the, the stakes are basically exactly the same as they would be if she was house sitting. The third act would, would happen the exact same way. I think. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about just to give something a little bit more positive because it does feel like we are kind of we are dunking on this movie. I think I think we're doing it in a way that I can understand because the potential is all very obvious and to see it kind of not hit is kind of a drag. Mm. But um there's some shots in the movie I really like. Um in particular what? Sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I feel like I struck a nerve. Uh, you go first, Corey, and then and then um, like there's a shot where she's got i believe it's when she's up to the fire poker of the weapon of choice and um she's like walking down the hallway i think she's listening for the housekeeper's phone ringing and there's this golden light pouring through like venetian blinds on some like real american gigolo shit and, and it looks um, like a prison cell because the Venetian blinds. You know, I just thought it looked cool. You know, I want to give some credit where it's due for some fun looking shots. Um, shout out to the decor of that guest house. I can't believe that that's what we thought was cool. In I know, right? This yeah. is what call it college kids like snowboards and skateboards, but they also <laughs> like the keeping their wall. room nice and neat. <laughs> yeah. Another big missed opportunity that guest house, by the way, and yeah. the the idea of the of the college kid who's around. Um, and another weird red herring in the movie, huh? Like that's the just- thing. Yeah. So, Corey, you're right that like they do the whole um, what did you say it was? Chekhov's uh, Chekhov's koi pond. Koi pond. Yes. And the movie actually does a whole lot of that, which I think is very cool. I mean, especially in your little succinct. 80 minute horror movie i like that idea that when she's getting the tour of the house the the um homeowners are just 
obviously setting up that every every they're setting up everything that's going to go wrong over the next hour they're mentioned we're we're seeing the fish we're seeing the cat who doesn't actually die <laughs> so i guess they're just setting up the cat scare but they set up the guest house and the idea of the college kid who might be there but he might not be there they, they set up the lingering housekeeper who doesn't actually say that much but she's around in this big house they set up the alarm code uh the fact that it's written down somewhere they set up that the kids have the flu and so you're not going to be able to see them they set up uh tiffany's tequila bottle uh that later comes into play oh as a as a weapon and so some of this stuff is set up and and uh paid off which is sort of cool i don't think really any of it is paid off in an interesting way because like mitch i think the koi pond was uh totally whack i think the cat was actually only there to just like be a scary as a cat for one moment there's actually no uh cat killing the guest house she it's only there so that she can have a, a another place to wander around in slowly um and then eventually she answers the phone and uh it occurs to her that even though she had him on the phone for 60 seconds the cops can't trace it because it's a separate landline i do think that's kind of cool um but the movie does set up a whole lot of stuff that either doesn't pay off at all, red herring style, or it pays off in like the slightest, most uh, uninteresting ways you can imagine. Like the kids are up in the room with the flu because they actually have the flu and they're just sleeping. Or uh, uh, the alarm code is being written down uh, so that the alarm can like go off once at an inconsequential time the housekeeper is around because she's going to be a body that is found in the koi pond after she's already dead like it's just it's it's not all that interesting what about in terms of like performances like i well i say performances i really mean uh, to talk about the performance that's relevant because yeah yeah. they essentially ask camilla bell to carry the entire movie on her back um, and I'm wondering how we feel about how she did. Uh, I think she's going to need a chiropractor. <laughs> what does that mean? That the, like that, that to elaborate. It means, that, uh, I think they gave her too big of a load and she couldn't handle it. Um, because that also could have meant that like, it was just a f- like clumsy, because like well um, yeah no, i think it could mean that too and, and i think it would still work that way um yeah i honestly don't i don't think she does a like she does a a serviceable job in some places i feel like a lot of it's on the on the writers as well um writer yeah um but you're yeah. only blaming one guy for this <laughs> well not for me yeah, um, I I like the look of her, and I don't just mean that in like an attraction way. Like I I think she's got some charisma, um, and so to spend an hour with her, I I see why they picked her, but I also just think the writing doesn't do her any favors. She just really doesn't have all that much. I mean, um, she's like annoyed by these phone calls, and sometimes she's like very like. Um, sweet on the phone calls where like she has to pretend to keep uh be interested in what this stranger has to say in order to keep him on the line and so i think like 
I do think she is a is a is a good actor, um, in that everything she says like doesn't sound you know wooden and and unbelievable. But the movie just gives her so little, and I don't think she is in that very small percentage of of actors where like uh, any line she says can just be like super interesting um and maybe in another movie she could be in fact she's in a movie called the quiet uh that i really love um and she basically has no lines in that movie um and then until the until later on when she starts to say something and she she is very captivating in that movie but in this one she just really doesn't have a lot and she doesn't even get to do the third act horror movie thing all that much where she's really freaking out and you get to think oh man if someone were being chased by a killer this is exactly how they would look this is exactly how scared they would be because the movie really does rush through the third act you don't really get any time with her when shit hits the fan it's just she's just constantly moving um and there's not a whole lot to it so uh i think i was sort of in your boat Corey, where a lot of it i was thinking like is do I like this? Um, and I ended up concluding that like I didn't hate it, but there actually wasn't a whole lot to like, and I and I don't really think that's her fault. But yeah, I think she's got the chops to do it. I think it's the movie letting her down more than vice versa. Because it's like, how interesting can you make like sitting on a couch in six different ways? And you know, I guess the answer is not extremely. Um, I will say it did uh, beg a question, though. There's a point in the movie where she puts uh, her like Motorola razor in her back pocket, like partially open. Like it's like the keypad part is in the pocket and the screen part is outside the pocket, but it's like folded. You know what I mean? Um, Did anybody ever do that? That looked like the craziest thing I had ever seen in my life. I like know, I wouldn't remember. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I was like, a bit too young, I guess, to know. But I just wouldn't that like break your phone if you like sat down. I guess you got to just remember to not sit down. Like <laughs> I'm like we're hooking a lot of pants uh, phones to pants in this movie, and I don't really understand the logistics of it. Um, but yeah, I think you know, yeah, this movie it's it's, it's frustrating. Just a lot of missed potential. Yeah, I, yeah. Even the the like surprise ending, uh, where it's Ugh. doing um, which uh briefly was kind of giving me like Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So like, what just, like, what very ending part are you talking about? The hospital. surprise ending. Yeah, mm. that's uh to me that is huge carry vibes. It just seems like a massive carry ripoff and super lame but like well it, it, like i thought it was cool up until i realized about uh 10 seconds into what was happening that it was definitely just a nightmare and yep. i was like man it would be so much cooler if like the phone just rang in an empty hospital and like the movie ended sure yeah like, yeah i think that would be sick my notes for this movie literally end with me saying because uh, when she just walks out into the empty hallway, I put perfect ending, no notes. And then I dawns on me and I go, if it's a nightmare, some notes and then some notes. <laughs> like it dawned on me that I didn't like it as much as it was happening. Yes. Yeah. I think, uh, 
I, I agree with you that that if it had just been a phone ringing in an empty hospital, that that is more interesting. I think it it would still be you know kind of trite and and something I've seen before, but it would be much much less egregious than the dream sequence at the end, and then having her freaking out while people restrain her i mean it's one of the most common surprise endings of all time and at least in something like carrie again the actual explicit visual is scary of carrie's bloody hand coming up through the rocks and grabbing her wrist that that's scary and so even when it's a dream you've seen that thing and and you're thinking oh that would be a terrible thought but in this case it's just uh the dude standing behind a door um and she goes to shut it and then the dude is there so it's it's nothing we haven't seen before already in the movie and so the scary ending is just yo this scary thing happened to her at that at this house and so uh she's gonna be a bit scared by it for at least the next week or so it just it just means like absolutely nothing i think it's just uh it it is it's in line with the rest of the movie in that it, it feels you know on brand what did you think of the ending mitch yeah i thought the ending with the dream was um just stupid um, and I, I agree with Corey. If, if if it just started with the phone call and her glancing at it, the implication of just sort of like the trauma that she's going to live with, I think like that would have been good. That would have been a good sort of chilling ending. And it would have been showing rather than sort of telling, but it, it takes it one step further. That sort of heavy handed PG 13 approach where it's like, and the visceral trauma, the nightmare is real. No, it's not. And she is mad and scream. Like I, the I, call is coming from inside your mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I think it could have been, I think less would have been more. Um, so I, ironic considering the movie needed more, it's up until the end in which it needed less. Yeah. And it's it's really strange they didn't do the phone call thing. Like, that seems so obvious. There's, there's a recent movie called The Stranger's Prey at Night that basically does the equivalent of the phone call thing at the end. And it, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's not revolutionary, but it, but it is cool. And the fact that it, like, so... Um, easily plays into this idea that... Uh, teens you know especially are, are gonna be around ringing phones a lot and so it's it's that really cool horror movie idea of taking something that is uh inconspicuous and making it carry more weight this idea of the phone call and whenever she answers that phone or whenever she hears a ringing phone it's gonna have she's gonna have that unsettling feeling inside her and that's totally believable and um it i mean i guess it, it's also believable that she would have nightmares about this but it is so much it, it is so much more on the nose and um uh just um just boring i think it is it is it is much more boring what did you guys think of the shot that stuck with me all these years when she sees the killer's face in the cop car and they sort of just lock eyes for like a long 10 second slow-mo? <laughs> uh, like what did that what did that uh, mean to you? Because it it, it, it it is executed like it's a really big moment. Like you're supposed to be thinking something in that moment. So what did it mean to you guys? It, it I meant, need some answers after 16 what years. I, what I thought was, why the fuck are they doing this? 
nice. I, I, I meant nothing to I me. Thought it I was re- so weird. I remember the like the like the fireplace crematorium much better than I do that um, bit. Yeah, I don't know. Not for me, man. Um, I think it's kind of like a, a a bit cheesy. I think the like the villain is just like really um, not fleshed out enough for that to like be um meaningful or, or i think it, it could have been but i, I think it, to me uh, something about it rubbed me the wrong way it seems sort of stilted and forced contrived yeah i think so too and i think um i, I i've gathered that the idea is that you know the killer is in shadows uh for the 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 times we see him and so this is her first good look at his her, face her and his moment. eyes and yeah and it's just that idea of oh i Thank could kind of scooby-doo mr johnson i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for that Scar pesky baby face <laughs> creepy. Uh, you're, the, you're the creeper creeper <laughs> But I also think it's 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 misguided because we actually do get a pretty good looks at his face uh, once the third act is going on. Like he's in they, shadows, but there's still shots where it's like you can just tell that this is a normal white yeah. dude. They do try to like obscure it somewhat, and it just doesn't really work at all. Yeah, so it it doesn't mean anything. And even as a kid, you know, I just remember. Th- I remember wanting more from that moment. It showed his face, and I was like, uh, can this please be someone that we saw earlier in the movie? Is this her dad? Is this one of the cops? Is this someone from like her high school? Like, What does this mean? Because if it's just showing me that this is a dude, I know that. I could tell it was a dude throughout the entire last half hour of the movie. Like, This means absolutely nothing and it it just is another example of how this killer has no presence at all um like i said earlier i i really like when movies show us stuff and don't just leave it ambiguous and and that goes to a certain extent like black christmas is one of the absolute best examples of the perfect amount of ambiguity i think you get a couple glimpses of like the killer's eye that's all you get but he is an iconic slasher villain because of what he does with his voice on the phone and the way he talks and the things he says that makes my imagination run wild and just absolutely gets under my skin but this movie um pulls back way too much and expects uh the the viewer to do basically all the work and i just don't think it is uh scary at all that dog don't hunt Mm -hmm. um i haven't much more to say about this movie no it's just a a lot of squandered potential which is a bit of a buzzkill if ifs and buts were a lot of if onlys i got the saying i'm trying to say if if ifs what what is this a saying? I don't know. I don't know what you're trying were, to say. If if some butts were were what? I don't know. Were something? Hang on. If ifs and butts. Yeah, Google's Google's got it. If ifs and butts were candy and nuts is an idiomatic saying and a shortening of the original. If ifs and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas. Hey, listen, sweetheart. If ifs and nuts were candy, that's and- well that. Okay, great. We all have a Merry Christmas. 
Um, I want to ask Mitch one question before we go. Uh-huh. Uh, Mitch, uh, you're down on this movie. Not down with it. You're down on it. You don't like it. Yeah. And so I am wondering, given your fascinating experience with this movie, chilling you as a child, um, and like I said, that makes sense to me. I mean, like mm. I said, I think this is like very much an, a, a horror movie for people who really haven't seen horror movies. And, mm. uh, and, and if you're young, that would also help a lot. And I was just in the unique place where I had tainted my mind far or like i had seen carrie and all that shit by this point so it didn't hit me but i get how it could hit you and i get how it could hit other people um who uh totally have pussy trauma and so i want to know mitch um given your experience with this movie do you have at all like any respect for it where you can be like, okay, it didn't hit me now as a movie lover who has seen a whole lot of horror movies and has a more critical eye, but it scared me as a kid. And so do you have that at all a, a thought of like, well, it, it did its job. It's not for me anymore, but, but it, it does its job for the people it's going for or yeah. I mean, know, I, what, what is your take? I think, on I think it? it would be wrong to just sort of be like, it did to, for me not to say that it, it did its job, but will I ever revisit it? Um, no. And I think like I, I obviously was maybe like a bit younger than the target demographic, but not by much. And so, you know, I was thinking about that last night where I was like, I was younger than the target demographic. And so like for a 13 year old, like this might be scary, but for me, like as like a nine year old or a 10 year old, it was real scary. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I recognize that it did its job. Uh, I don't think it does its job now, and I, it's all the more disappointing um, that some of those chills like didn't work again, or that, that like I don't know. It's just it's disappointing to see when you remember something as being one thing and then it's not. So imagine this: you got a friend; they have a child who's between the ages of like eight and twelve, and they say, "Yo, my kid." wants to watch a horror movie or I want to show my kid a horror movie um, that'll kind of chill them, but I don't want to scar them mm. uh, with something too heavy. Is this the sort of movie you would recommend? Do you think it fits into that enough or would you pick a, a movie that like you can stand more behind as an adult as well? I wouldn't pick this. Um no, I I think you could do better. I don't know what I would pick for somebody looking to get into it, like for a kid looking to get into it. I'd probably go, I'd probably start them with the classics. I'd probably go older, but that's just that's just um, Nosferatu again. No, I wouldn't start it with the silence. That's uh, they have to learn to appreciate sound. Listen, you have to be able to see before you can hear. You gotta walk before you can jog. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what I would pick instead, um, but I don't think I would recommend this because I think it's just like not that great of a movie. I think there's so many other things that you could probably pick that they would have a better time with that um, steer clear of that R rating. Yeah. Well, what about you, Corey? Would you recommend this to uh, any of your eight-year-old friends? I mean, I've got so many and they all have such a different taste. I mean... <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think so. If only to just also introduce like a different kind of movie to a younger audience, because this movie is sh- stunningly patient, um, and fairly slow moving, and that like that exploration of pace might also be kind of interesting. Um, 
there's enough stuff here that I thought was intriguing, even if it doesn't execute, that I think, sure, you know, it's worth a shot. Nice. And I'm at the spot where, like, um, I would much rather recommend someone something that um, I can... I can think that 10 years from that point, they'll be like, oh, it was sick that I watched that movie as a kid. Whereas I think When a Stranger Calls 2006 is just too, it's too slight. I mean, um, I have a nephew who who I who was a horror fan at eight years old, and so I was showing him movies. And um, I think movies that have more of an identity are... Um, are more special, you know, because this, like I said, this movie is only special because it has the advantage of it being the first horror movie I saw in a theater. But if this movie had been like a better, scarier horror movie, oh my gosh, that that would have been amazing for me as a kid. So um, that's why I say that I would only recommend this movie to like adults who are just weirdly into 2000 horror and they've just like done everything else. They're checking off all the boxes. And uh, I guess I would just bring up, Oh, well there's a, there's a, one of stranger calls from 2006 uh, that, you know, I guess you could guess you could finish your journey off with and, and probably have a good time. Cause you've probably have an okay time. Cause you've come this far. But other than that, I think it is mostly a movie that uh, I understand why I haven't seen it talked about at all online in the last 16 years. Fair. Fair. Fair and understandable. And that's the... Mm. Now it's time to hang up on what a stranger calls. Camilla Bell's still hot, though. Not only that, but I'm, I'm, blocking, that. I'm blocking my number, too. Don't <laughs> call back. I can see you on caller ID. I love the idea that she says that in the movie, like caller ID had like just come out. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, I love the idea that her name was in fact, Tiffany Madison, Madison, <laughs> Tiffany, as it said on the ID. Yeah. Um, Madison, Tiffany's her sister. Um, but, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's how sibling names work. <laughs> you don't know that. I think I do, bro. Man, I, I do have a sibling. Though he does have a different last name than me, so I guess you're absolutely right that Madison Tiffany could be your... Damn it, you got me. Uh, got him, dude. Um, I was supposed to have thought of a movie by now. We'll return after these messages. The fiber in Kellogg's Mini-Wheats helps keep me flying right, but it's the delicious frosting that fuels my youthful appetite. Uh, small problem... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lean into this. We just had a minor technical difficulty that uh, kind of showed my hubris and not just picking a movie. Uh, so we're just gonna try to clean that up real fast. <laughs> um, oh, heavy burden. I uh, have narrowed it down to two movies, and I'm actually just gonna assign them both sides of a coin, and I'm just gonna hit a coin flipper. Oh man! Because you have to draw this out much longer. That's so risky. Ceremony. If it lands on the side, I'm gonna have a litter of kittens. Okay, so uh, this time around, it is going to be um, the... Corey, you gotta lie. You gotta lie. Why? I just know what I want, that's all. It's gonna be uh, 2002 Carrie. Let's go! Um, which I, I know is like... Really money. Yeah, I do. I think I think Japanese Unforgiven might be my next pick, though, because that sounds extremely sick. Um, 
but uh, not yet. I, uh, you're, you're not forgiven for this slight. Uh, <laughs> you are, you're uh, unforgiven. You are unforgiven. <laughs> but um, I think 2002 carry has been like one of the things I've been most intrigued by. It's on, been too long since we did our another carry. Yeah, yeah, dude. Well, and like, first of all, carry two, incredible. But also just, I feel like nobody talks about the 2002 one. Like it just kind of exists. I didn't know about it. Um, it's cool to have something of such a big property kind of go under the radar. Uh, I just got it on Blu-ray last week, so this is great true, for me. You did. I forgot about that, but yeah. So I'll uh, fire it with a commentary track too. I'll double we'll, feature. We'll do that up, and then uh, you guys Mitch, want to come over to watch Carrie two thousand two? You're welcome. That would be Ooh. sick. And then um, Mitch can get back at me for this perceived slight at a later date. You will rue the day that you did this to me. Uh, okay, so Mitch, do you want to plug stuff so you can finally leave? My name is William Money. I've killed women and children. I've killed just about everything that's walked and crawled along this earth one time or another. And now, little Bill, I'm here to kill you. Uh, Jill, I'm a batch. Batch. That's a really fun thing to say. It's, I mean, no wonder uh, that dude made a video all about it back in the day. Can you hit, Can you hit me with one of those just for the end of the show? Betch. Thank you. That's great. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I've got a film writing alter ego named Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, and you can find my username on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd, Graham the Mallow. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price, and you can listen to the two other podcasts that I do. Uh, you can listen to MK Podcast <laughs> with our friend Neil. Yeah, it's two. Did you you knew that? Oh yeah, right? I know. It's just okay. it's so it's, wild. It's so many. Uh, MK Podquest I do with our friend Neil uh, right now we are working our way through the Malibu comics of Mortal Kombat uh, so Goro Prince of Pain uh, Blood and Thunder and Tournament Edition and we are also doing commentaries for the Mortal Kombat Conquest TV show you can find that at mkpodquest.com you can also listen to Strat 2 which I do with my friend Callum uh, where we talk about Formula 1 I finally found a place to put that that is going to be Strat 2 like short form of the word strategy and uh, Strat2F1 on Twitter. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of this show, which is They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and some kind of elaborate story you might have about living through a real horror movie or weird PSP escapades or whatever. Oh, I've never a- wanted people to write into us as badly as now. Please write into us. Answer yeah. Corey's question. Um, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we will catch you here next week for another shot at Carrie. And they made another one. Oh, yeah. Jill, I'm a bitch. That's my line today. <laughs> You're going to say it like fucking Johnny Cash? Yeah. Uh, Jill, I am a bitch. Can you say it like Columbo's Just One More Thing? Um, well, um, Jill, I'm a bitch. <laughs> that sounded sort of like uh, Christopher Bill Walken. Clinton. Uh, oh. <laughs> Jill. <laughs> Come on, Jill. Uh. <laughs>
I play the saxophone, Jill. I know you're There's a, a bitch. very good chance this is going in at the end. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very good chance. 